Hello and welcome to the podcast for the August 2008 issue of The Lancet Oncology. I'm Richard Lane and I'm joined by TLO's editor, Dr. David Collingridge. Welcome, David. Quite a few topics to cover this month. And we should say, of course, that this is a themed issue of The Lancet Oncology. It has very much a global health theme, but at the same time still has plenty to offer on the clinical side as well. Let's kick off with a research article, the Concord study. This assesses cancer survival from five continents. It's a massive piece of epidemiology. Where does this study have its origins? And I guess the burning question for me is, how can you actually assess survival across so many populations? Well, the Concord, as you say, is certainly one of epic proportions, and is certainly the, the largest report we've ever published. The study originated out of the Eurocare program back in 1999. Now, Eurocare is an ongoing project that assesses cancer survival across Europe. Concord was therefore a logical extension of this to involve other countries and gain insight on a global level. Now, as you say, one of the challenges of this study, apart from the colossal feat of collating data from 101 population-based registries in 31 countries, generating nearly 3,000 life tables, was to ensure quality control in data from many sources. The intercomparability of these different data sets is also a, a key issue, and the standardization of analyses. Now, as a result of controlling for these factors, the authors are able to present five-year relative survival data using a method commonly used by the SEER program in the United States. This guaranteed the American data in this study was comparable to previous estimates and was fully comparable to the results from the rest of the world. What cancers were actually covered in the study and what were the key findings? Well, the authors chose to focus on just four types of cancer, breast, colon, rectum and prostate. Now, collectively, these four cancers account for a large majority of all cancer diagnoses. This is the first study to ever compare cancer survival in a robust way from countries over five continents and presents data from North and South America, all parts of Europe, North Africa, Japan and Australia. It's the first time cancer survival has been presented from the National Programme of Cancer Registries that covers a range of US states not covered in this SEER program. And in general, the results show five-year relative survival for all four cancer types or higher in North America, Australia, Japan, Northern, Western and Southern Europe compared with rates in North Africa, Brazil and Eastern Europe. There are also clear differences between countries within Europe, between all countries generally and differences also exist between states in the US, between racial groups and really quite interestingly on a regional level between some US cities and their corresponding states. So David, now that we have these global findings, what do you think are the implications for cancer prevention worldwide? We have to bear in mind that the data in this study, given its complexity, are not as contemporaneous as truly needed. So they don't reflect the various national cancer plans that have been coming on stream in, in recent years. However, they do clearly give insight into the various discrepancies that exist between different countries and between different healthcare systems in the provision of cancer care and provide um, a useful incentive for continued change and improvement because all patients with cancer should, as a human right, have access to the same treatments and an expectation of the best possible outcomes irrespective of where they live. Thanks, David. Moving on, this month we've got part two of a review looking at cancer in Africa. What cancers are a particular issue in Africa and why? Africa has many factors that alter cancer etiology and, and disease outcome. Differences in environmental factors, infection, lifestyle, genetic background, economic development or the lack of, and access to healthcare all play a part in the prevalence of cancers of the cervix, breast, liver, prostate, stomach, bladder and esophagus. Additionally, Carposis sarcoma, Hodgkin's lymphoma and tobacco-related cancers are all, all major causes of concern. 
Clearly, Africa has unique health issues closely related to poverty and, and, and inadequate health systems. So what impacts does this have on cancer services in that continent? Well, clearly, provision of cancer services comes quite low down on the list of priorities for many African states, and understandably so. With limited resources, it's obvious that greater efforts are needed to be put into security, nutrition, essential medicines, and the like. As a result, and in general, cancer control programs do not exist. Provision of basic clinical oncology services are inadequate and sparse. For example, five-year survival from prostate cancer in Zimbabwe or Uganda is less than 30%, compared with 95% in the United States. In the Concord study that we were just talking about, five-year relative survival for all four cancer types in that particular study in Algeria was the lowest figure of all the 31 countries examined. And similarly, in the UICC's My Child Matters program that we're going to come to in a few minutes, postulated five-year survival for children with cancer in Senegal and Tanzania is less than 10%, in Morocco about 30%, and in Egypt just 40%. It's becoming clear as you're talking, when we talk about Africa, we're not talking about one homogenous place, vast differences uh, between the countries within the African continent. That said though, David, can we actually say what future priorities are there for the African continent in terms of cancer services? Well, the authors of this particular review note a number of comparatively cost-effective measures that would have a demonstrable effect on cancer burden in Africa. For example, an absolutely key measure would be tobacco control, but equally provision of antiretrovirals, vaccinations against HPV and hepatitis B, and other infection control measures would make a very big difference. Now, David, I also see you've got uh, an article about paediatric cancer a slightly different kind of study for the Lancet Oncology. It is a qualitative study to assess the effect of a, can- of a paediatric cancer approach in several countries. How did this come about and what were the investigators seeking to achieve? Well, the Lancet Oncology has been collaborating for a few years now in helping to promote the UICC's My Child Matters campaign. The purpose of this scheme is to fund projects in low to middle income countries that aim to increase cancer awareness and cancer services. The paper by Raul Ribeiro and colleagues in this month's issue looks at the baseline characteristics of paediatric cancer care in 10 countries receiving funds from the campaign to create a clearer picture of what services are available now and how they correlate with survival so we can get a better understanding of the overall clinical need. And I see some patchy results here, David. How would you summarise paediatric oncology services across these different countries? The results show us that Cancer care and access to care for children is poor or non-existent in seven of the ten countries surveyed, and cancer incidence and outcome data were rarely available. Now, some of the countries, for example Bangladesh, Honduras, Senegal and Tanzania, had collectively less than ten paediatric oncologists to serve a combined population of nearly 100,000 children less than 15 years of age. This study also shows five-year survival was directly proportional to a number of economic parameters, including per capita annual total healthcare expenditure, per capita gross domestic product, per capita gross national income, and annual government healthcare expenditure per capita. And while this qualitative approach is useful, the authors do say that it cannot replace the need for uh, proper cancer registries and collaboration with all relevant agencies to properly assess the quality of services. Is that right? Yes, that's absolutely right. This study was a labour-intensive snapshot of the current situation, but to monitor continuous improvement or to identify where gaps continue to exist, 
detailed, up-to-date, regularly maintained records are needed, along with programs to ensure the long-term sustainability of new facilities and services as they come on stream. Thanks, David. And finally, let's talk about Singapore, which is a nice place if you ever go there. An interesting case study, really, about Singapore and how it's uh, setting up a national cancer centre. Can you outline Singapore's recent trans or relatively recent transition from being a developing country to a developed country? Because obviously that's very relevant here. Singapore provides an interesting example of how healthcare systems can develop in line with a country's transition from, as you say, a developing to a developed nation. Singapore gained independence from the UK in 1963 and separation from Malaysia in 1965. Since then, gross national income has grown from about $400 per head to nearly $29,000 per head, and the population has increased threefold to about 4.5 million people. This fast development has needed judicious financial management by the government to ensure healthcare expenditure is of an appropriate and effective level. Right, so now that Singapore is a developed nation, which it clearly is and and has been, I guess, for two, three decades now. What does that mean in terms of the prominence of cancer in, in, if you like, the the newer Singapore? Well, since 2002, cancer has become the main cause of death in Singapore and occurrence continues to rise. The mix of cancer types has also changed over time and now closely resembles those seen in Europe and the USA. For example, breast cancer is now the commonest type for women Colorectal is the commonest for both sexes combined, and prostate cancer is rapidly rising in men. And why is it a good case study for setting up a national cancer centre? Well, Singapore is a great example of a preemptive and considered approach on how to manage future cancer burden. A review committee in 1992, many years before cancer became the leading cause of death in Singapore, recommended the creation of a national cancer centre to provide affordable health care with the objectives of coordinating multidisciplinary cancer care, training of oncologists and other allied professionals, centralising expensive technologies and resources, coordinating basic and clinical research and developing cancer databases. Now the planning team includes members who have been trained at leading cancer institutes in the UK and in the USA, so these experiences could expedite and inform the process. And the healthcare paper by Kichi Su, in which this development program is described in detail, also goes on to explain how the cancer centre was integrated with existing facilities in the state, and how good management of human resources has been a key driver of this program. Now obviously the logistics of developing a small city-state through a period of economic transition is comparatively easier than a large country, but the principles are insightful and potentially scalable to other settings. And how are they doing? Well, the centre now manages two-thirds of all public sector patients in Singapore. It has one of the largest pools of full-time oncologists in Southeast Asia. The centre has been at the forefront of tobacco control and instrumental in the introduction of a smoking ban in public places. It's become an important collaborator in the international clinical trials and is the secretariat of the Asia-Pacific National Cancer Centre's network that provides fellowships and training for oncologists in the Asia-Pacific region. So to have developed into a recognised centre of expertise in just nine years is quite a remarkable achievement. Great. Many thanks, David. A wide variety of global health-related content and some clinical content in there as well. Many thanks for listening. Those were the highlights of the August issue of The Lancet Oncology. See you next month.